A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jack the Ripper baffled Scotland Yard. Three things made the Whitechapel murders a media sensation overnight. Two murders back to back, an ensuing panic, and a letter which gave this mysterious blood-soaked slayer a name. Jack the Ripper. dubbed the Soho murders, with a third woman found strangled. Soho had become a byword for terror, with its victims so globally famous, only their nicknames were needed. Fifi, Marie, and now Leia. Syndicated worldwide on the 13th of September 1936, every week, was one of many articles that fueled the flames of panic and mystery. It read, Like Jack the Ripper, this shadowy slayer of the girls of London's dim byways strikes with an insane but deadly cunning, leaving no clues to the famous man-catchers. Of those who fell prey to him, all were women, and all of the dubious class. Jack the Ripper threw such a shiver of fear over Whitechapel that women were afraid to go out at night. The same is true today of the women in Soho. With no witnesses, no clues and no concrete evidence to convict separate suspects to these identical murders, let alone a serial strangler who stalked Soho's seedy streets. This mystery would spawn a myth, and with a third murder fueling a panic, the press would give him a name, the Soho Strangler. Unlike the others, the murder of Dutch Leia would mark a shift in the killer's motive. But by making this man into a monster, once again, the victim would be forgotten. Leia's life was a fractured, chaotic mess. When asked, her own mother could not remember the date of her own child's birth. Just that she was born in 1912, 
at East Ham Infirmary in East London. Like so many women, Constance May Hind, as her birth certificate states, had many names for many legitimate and illegitimate reasons. With three different spellings of her surname, a married name, and combined with several first names, Constance, May, and even Leia, she had eight known aliases. Lacking a solid role model, her early life was devoid of stability and love, as Leia was bounced like a bag of dirt. Between her mother Kathleen, an alcoholic fraudster who spent much of her upbringing behind bars, her father Gordon Bodley, a minor who was neither there at her birth nor much beyond, and when not being raised by her exacerbated grandmother Sarah Ann, who could do nothing for her, Leia was placed into care, far from her home, of London. First at St Faith's House of Mercy, a convent at Loswell in Cornwall, and later at the Devon House of Mercy, a children's home in Bovey Tracy. Age 14, being legally entitled to flee the state's care, this broken girl from a fractured family, left with no money, no plan, and unsurprisingly, her mother would state she was unable to ever live alone. Between 1926 and 1930, her late teenage years, there is a gap in her past. Some say that she trained as a shorthand typist and then became a waitress. But with Leia Hines receiving the first of eight convictions for soliciting age 18, by the time of her death, she had been a Soho prostitute for at least six years. Her adult life was no better, as every aspect of her existence was brief and transient. Like French Fifi, who it is unknown if she ever knew, as her name was never mentioned in the case file of her murder. Dutch Leia, as she was called, a moniker giving this Londoner an air of the exotic, was well known and well liked amongst her fellow sex workers, being chatty pleasant and supportive. As a creature of habit, she worked from 9pm till 2am. She picked up punters behind the Palace Theatre, just south of Old Compton Street and on the corner of Romilly Street and Greek Street. And she kept close ties to her trusted associates, Leia Cohen, Ruby Walker and Lily Joyce, the last people to see her alive. Like many prostitutes, her clients were either faceless strangers or nameless regulars. Her arrests were as common as the violence she endured, none of which led to convictions. She charged a flat rate. She rarely haggled over a fee. She had no issues with getting naked. And as many men refused to use the thick rubber condoms as supplied by Sidney Bloom, they could pay her for unprotected sex as their semen would be soaked up by the thick wads of cotton wool she regularly inserted 
into her vagina. In the police report, she is described as a common, low type of prostitute. There was nothing about her which stood out. Being just a small, plain, and unremarkable woman, struggling to get by in a life which had dealt her a dirty hand. In short, she was no more likely to be murdered than anyone else. Just like Fifi and Marie. Leia's mother would state, She always lived with some man. I don't mean that she lived with a man who kept her, but a ponce. Like many aspects of her life, her lack of steady lover may seem scandalous to 1930s morals. But living in an era where a single woman was seen as sinful and penalized to the point where it was better to live with a man, whether she loved him or not, like Marie Cotton, her happiness was never considered. In 1930, around the time of her first conviction, she lived on Whitfield Street in Fitzrovia with Jim Rich, a black music hall artiste who performed in the West End as well as touring the UK. By all accounts, they got on well and they never quarreled. But after two years, the couple split. In 1931, Leia met Robert Smith at a dance on nearby Newport Street, with him always believing that she was a waitress. By the end of the year, they had a child. I think it was a boy, her mother would state. But unwilling or unable to care for him, he was adopted, but I don't know by whom. On the 29th of June, 1933, Robert Thomas Smith and Constance May Hind married at the Strand Registry Office under the aliases of Robert Thomas Armstrong and May Constance Hind. But by August 1934, after just one year's marriage, she wrote and told me she was leaving with no reason. In December 1935, she lived with an Italian known only as Alf above G's Fish Shop at 65 High Street in Bloomsbury. By January 1936, she lived with a Frenchman using the alias of George Day at 40 Greek Street in Soho. And by February 1936, she lived on New Compton Street with William Billy Sullivan until his arrest later that month for theft and assault. Following her murder, the police wouldn't seek a serial strangler whose sadistic spree had slain another sex worker, or a sensational monster whose very name made worldwide headlines. As once again, their suspect was the most obvious one, like one of her criminal lovers who leached off her earnings. 
Stanley Gordon King was born on the 29th of July 1912 in Aldershot. With his father having died when he was just a toddler, he supported his mother as a minor, but in 1931, age 19, he came to London to work various jobs as a hall boy, a footman, a waiter, an MC at Max Dance Hall, and finally as a street magician. Under the stage name of Rex Gordon, 24 year old Stanley performed from mid afternoon until late into the night. On every tourist street and seedy night spot, always struggling to earn enough to pay his way. Being small and unimposing, he was an unlikely suspect to strangle his lover with his bare hands. But as Leia wasn't overpowered with brute force, her ligature strangulation was more likely to come from a man with nimble fingers, a swift sleight of hand, and an encyclopedic knowledge of ropes, binds, and knots. Dressed in black, a color on which blood is hard to see, taken into evidence from the crime scene was his magic bag. A conjurer's kit which contained everything needed to pull off the ultimate deception, like cloths, ropes, and lockpicks. Interviewed about the murder weapon found in his own flat, Stanley would state, I had about three and a half yards of electrical flex. I saw it nine weeks ago. The piece of wire shown to me is not my property. I have never seen it before. Like the others, Stanley had criminal convictions, but they were only slight. Under the aliases of Arthur King and Archibald King, in February 1935, he was charged but not found guilty of stealing a car. And in June 1935, he pleaded guilty to insulting behavior and a breach of the peace by fighting in the street. Stanley hardly seemed like a maniac, the kind of crazed killer who would unleash such horrific levels of violence against Leia. And yet, if they were connected, make the murders of Fifi and Marie look like an accident and a suicide. But then again, everybody has secrets. Everyone tells lies. Everyone has limits. And maybe the reason her crime scene looked so similar and yet different was that Leia's murder was personal. On an unspecified date in April 1936, in the Caprice Club at 59 Old Compton Street, Stanley met Leia. Within the week, they had moved in together, but their affair was born as much out of love as it was out of lies. Stanley would state, she said her parents were German. 
She said her name was Leah Hines. And hiding the fact that she was still married and had a child. Her biggest lie was how she earned her money. On the 24th of April 1936, they moved into two rooms on the first floor of number one Little Portney Street, just off Old Compton Street. An area riddled with prostitutes, pimps and brothels. After three days, she told him the truth. She said she was going out and meeting men. I said, you're not bringing men here, are you? She said, yes. She promised me that she would not bring any more men back to the place while we were there. Whether Stanley was oblivious, an idiot, or a liar is unknown, as there is no denying what Leah did for work. She had prior convictions for soliciting. Everyone on the street knew that she was a prostitute. She worked from 9pm till 3am. Her handbag was full of condoms. She picked up men just one street away and brought them back to their flat, where often Stanley would find their coats or hats left behind. Whether this was an alibi or ignorance, he also claimed that Leia had the only key to the door and that if he wanted access to his own flat between her working hours, he had to wait for her to throw the key from the window or sit in a cafe until she came back to the flat. On Monday the 4th of May 1936, Five days before her murder, Leah and Stanley moved into a new lodging at 66 Old Compton Street. A few doors down from their old flat, deeper into the heart of Soho's sex trade, and it was rented off a landlord who knew that she was a prostitute, having previously tried to evict her for non-payment. 66 Old Compton Street was unnervingly similar to 3 to 4 Archer Street and 47 Lexington Street. Set on a bustling thoroughfare, which thronged day and night to a cacophony of life. Amidst the hum of pubs and clubs, market stalls and small trades, gambling dens and secret brothels. Off Shaftesbury Avenue or Charing Cross Road, a stranger could easily enter this street, unseen and unheard, and then vanish. As a very similar, flat-fronted, four-story building, it was yet another almost perfect murder location. With a provisions shop called Fratelli on the ground floor, the lodgings above were only accessible by a street door, often left unlocked and open until the tradespeople had gone home. Described as dilapidated, its smattering of tenants kept themselves to themselves and rarely saw one another. In the basement lived a bookmaker and a variety artiste, who were rarely in before midnight. On the first floor, Shaw the seamstress was usually gone by early evening. The third floor was unoccupied. 
and on the second floor lived its newest tenants, Stanley a magician, and Leia a supposed waitress. For a prostitute, the dark unlit stairs gave her slew of faceless punters the privacy to sneak in, get sex, and then vanish like a gust of wind amidst an oblivious crowd. It was discreet, but it was also a place where tears fell unseen, cries were swallowed whole, and a scream of death would be lost amidst life. Their room was small and basic. A double bed, a dresser, a wardrobe, the lights lit by a gas meter, and several odds and sods left behind by a lazy landlord, including one of the weapons used to murder. Just like the others, Leia's final days and hours alive are unremarkable. Sunday the 3rd of May, Leia met Kathleen, her mother, for the very last time. She told me she was living with a Kundra. She said he was kind to her. She seemed happy and did not complain of being afraid of any person. Of those who knew Leia well, she never made any reference to being harassed, bullied or blackmailed. She'd recently been assaulted by a punter, but no more than usual. We don't know if she had a pimp, if Stanley was her ponce, or if her landlord was a flat farmer, part of a criminal gang who rented out rooms to sex workers at inflated prices and took a cut of their earnings. And she never spoke of white slavers, dope peddlers, sinister stalkers, or a violent Jew called Mr. Cohen. Monday the 4th of May. Stanley and Leia moved their belongings into 66 Old Compton Street, including his magic bag. Knowing her past, Stanley would later claim he had implored her, will you promise not to bring anyone here? Meaning men, she said yes. As usual, they ate dinner together. I left her about 11pm, Stanley would state. I arrived home at 3.30am and found her dressed and waiting. Tuesday the 5th of May. Of that night, Stanley would state, That evening I was at Shea Bobby's club until 1.15am. Back home, she was waiting up for me. I asked if she would give me a key to the street door. She said, I need the key. If you want one, you must get one cut. I became suspicious and thought she was bringing men back to the room. They later made up with each other and stayed in bed till 3pm. Wednesday the 6th of May. Having performed at the club, Stanley arrived home a few hours earlier than usual. Although it is unknown whether this was due to business being light or his need to catch her out. 
with supposedly no key. I arrived at 12.30am. I whispered up. She threw the keys out of the window. I let myself in and found her waiting. Of course, the only witnesses who can confirm this are Stanley and Leia. Thursday the 7th of May. Having ate a late supper, I left her at 11pm by Tottenham Court Road Police Station. I expected her to go home. Having left Shea Bobby's at 3.30am, I arrived at 3.45am and whistled up as usual. I received no reply. And after walking around, I returned to the address at 4am and noticed she was looking out of the window into Orcompton Street. She was fully dressed and wearing a hat. I said to her, where have you been all this time? She replied, are you trying to catch me? Stanley would later state that she had been to the Caprice Club, a place he had forbidden her to return to. She said, I've been out of someone's way for a couple of hours. She went to the dressing table and took out a seaman's discharge book. The seaman was never identified. His discharge book was never found. And according to Stanley, Leia never stated why it was there. Friday the 8th of May was Leia's last day alive. Stanley would state, I woke up at 11am and noticed a blue raincoat on top of the wardrobe. I asked her about it. She said, it's always been there. I knew this was wrong and I told her so. She said, oh, well, the man who was here last night, it belongs to him. I said, he must have been in a hurry. It was three o'clock when I left the room. And according to him, I asked her if she wanted to meet me for supper. She said, no, I'll see you tonight. She asked me to be home, definitely at 2 a.m. But in Stanley's own words, that was the last time I saw her alive. That night, there were several reliable sightings of Leia. Leia Cohen, a fellow prostitute and her old flatmate, saw her at 10.50pm on Old Compton Street and stated, She was alone. When I left, she was dressed in a small dark hat, a fawn coat and a blue spotted frock. At 11.30pm, Ruby Walker saw her at the corner of Charing Cross Road, talking to Ginger Joan. She said, I haven't been off all night, 
meaning she hadn't had a punter, and there was no money coming in. The last confirmed sightings of Leia were at 12.30 a.m. The first was by Emilio Plantino, a hall porter at the London Casino, who saw Leia walking east on the south side of Old Compton Street with a man. And just minutes later, Nellie Few, a local prostitute who had known Leia for six years, saw her enter the street door at 65 Old Compton Street with a man matching the description. With no one left in the building, except for the sleeping lodgers in the basement, what happened next was only witnessed by Leia and her killer. In comparison, Stanley's sightings are less accurate and cannot be verified by others. When questioned by the police, he would state, I went to Shea Bobby's, one street east on Charing Cross Road, and I stayed there until 3.30am. Even though, according to him, Leia had asked him to be home definitely at 2am. At 4am, with the street door locked, I whistled up but got no reply. Stanley later stated, I went to Jack's snack bar on Charing Cross Road and had a cup of coffee. Although the owner could never confirm this. Returning at 5am, he rang the bell, which was unheard by any other lodger. I again returned to the address at about 6am. But again, no reply. Seemingly unconcerned, he went to a cafe at the High Street in Bloomsbury, even though one was open immediately opposite. And at 6.30am, he told a passing labourer called James Adams of his issue. And after a little breakfast, this convenient witness agreed to help him. At 8.45am, with a provisions shop on the ground floor opening up. Stanley got a second witness, Mr. Fratelli, to unlock the street door. And hearing Leia's puppy whining inside their flat, he got James to break down the door. Discovering her body, Stanley ran to the junction of Great Windmill Street and Shaftesbury Avenue and reported to P.C. Davidson. Oh, Constable, will you come along? I think my girl has been murdered. Stanley King was said to be visibly shaken and upset. The crime scene was unnervingly similar to the two previous killings by the Soho Strangler. Inside, there was no state of disorder. The drawers were not ransacked, 
and except for Leia's black handbag, which had been left open on the mantelpiece, a robbery could neither be proved nor disproved. Again, Leia hadn't feared a killer. As lying obliquely on the bed, with her stockings neatly rolled down to her ankles, her knickers removed, her legs widely parted, and her cotton dress pulled up to her waist, leaving her pubis exposed. She had prepared herself for the purposes of sexual intercourse. Only once again, there were no signs of any sexual assault, as her undressing was of her own volition. Again, the killer had fashioned a found item as a piece of black flex was tied around her neck. Only it wasn't the strangulation which would take her life, as with the scene described as the work of a maniac, his usual calmness cast aside, and having grasped a second, much deadlier weapon, he had unleashed an unparalleled fit of violence and anger upon her, as if Leia's death was personal. With Dr. Charles Burney and Home Office pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury jointly confirming that she had died between 12am and 4am, they both took a unanimous opinion. This was a murder. The police's prime suspect was Stanley King, a man with a method, a motive and a very tenuous alibi. But was he her killer? Or with two strikingly similar unsolved murders across neighboring streets over a few months and with a third heading that way? Once again, had the police collared a very convenient scapegoat rather than face the unthinkable that the Soho Strangler was stalking their streets? Part 6 of 10 of The Soho Strangler continues next week. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm going to have a celebratory water. Mm. This coot being an annoying prick. Utter bastard. Well, it's fine. It's fine, coot, because I've finished now, you little shitbag. Oh, they're being. It's, it's like there's two of them. There's a little family of them out there, and they they come and say hello to me and go, "Ooh, give us some food." And then there's some more hens, and the, the coots are really stupid. It's like you throw out some food for them, and instead of going after the food, they they spend all their time chasing away all the other birds, going, "Get away from my food!" And by the time, by the time that um the coots have uh, come back to the food, all the food's gone. They're really really thick. It's like when you see them on the towpath and they're sunbathing on the towpath because the towpath is black and they're black. Unfortunately, you tend to see quite a lot of coots that have been a bit mashed up because cyclists have run over them. And it's just like they're just fucking, it's like the other side of the canal is green. Go and sit there. It's it, no, no one's no one's cycling on that bit, but they don't. They go, I know. I'll just I'll just have a steep in the path. Utter bellens. Anyway, anyway, welcome to Extra Mile. Unscripted, unedited, blah, 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 blah. Quiz in a bit. Dive into some extra stuff. Try not to, I'll try not to ruin what's going to happen in next week's episode. Let's just pop, let's pop on a herbal tea. Let's see how much of this herbal tea I actually drink. Open up some windows. Oh, yep. Coot is now harassing a moorhen opposite and trying to act like he's not harassing utter little shitbag there we go uh that's on just just found out that today is uh, uh shrove tuesday aka pancake day and me do like pancakes so me me might go and treat myself to some pancakes tonight <sighs> what's going on let's let's dive into some stuff uh, uh new patreon supporters supporters to thank um as I'm as I'm powering through these episodes, uh, we're getting further away. So I'm sorry to everyone who's patrons supporting. You have to wait a couple of weeks to hear me say thank you. It's because I'm powering through them at the moment. Uh, so thank you to Zanti and Terry Fremantle. So thank you Zanti and Terry Fremantle. Thank you very much. Um, also thank you to Lucy Barr and Selena Dean for your uh, very kind birthday. 
donations very kind uh i haven't told either about them because she'll only spend it on super strength lager and you know uh 170 proof vodka which is basically made out of battery acid and, and shit like that so i haven't told her about that uh, i'm gonna keep it for myself but i did use some of it because i was out last night with the the original the only uh police constable arsenal guinness which is very good we did we did, we did some uh, nice boozing it's always weird because he'd just woken up from a night shift. So he'd just woken up, turned up, and we went out down the pub. That must feel really weird. Um, but no, that was really good fun. We enjoyed that. It's lovely to see you again, PCAG. We had a good giggle. Um, thank you. I apologise. This happened ages ago. On one of my last tours, there was a cu- lovely couple who came up and they'd made some Police Constable Arsenal Guinness uh, stickers. And they gave uh, me two. So it was one to me. And I promised that I'd give one to Police Constable Arsenal Guinness. Um, I, 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 last time I saw PCAG, I didn't have them with me. Uh, so they've been sitting there for a while. But finally, finally, PCAG got his, his, very, his very own PCAG badge. And he was very excited about that. So thank you very much uh, for making that e- exclusive PCAB, PCAG badge. Lovely. Um, what else is going on? Um, it's Pancake Day, as mentioned, so we're still in February. Uh, Johnny, who's uh, one half of Cotton No Name, it was his birthday just gone. Uh, and he, uh, we've got birthday drinks this weekend coming up, so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be very good. I haven't seen JB in, uh, JB in uh, uh, about three years now. So, yeah, all busy, busy, busy. What else is going on? Um, as mentioned, the coots and moorhens are being twats. Um, I've had a turtle in the water yesterday. Those turtles in the canal. Um, I don't think they're native. I think I think they might have been released, but they seem to survive. But this this one seems to seems to have uh, passed away. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, what else is going on? Not a lot. Not a lot. All I seem to do is doing this, doing this, which is good. My brain is a bit fried. Halfway through the series, brain is a bit fried. Uh, these cases are about to get more complicated. All the different pieces that are in there are going to start weaving together, and it's oh my god! It's and especially because there's there's nothing out there. Even the little interview I did with uh, so Dom from Soho Bites podcast before I met up with Dom. I think that should be out by the time you listen to this. I'll put a link in the show notes. Hopefully that'll be in there. Um, Dom was like, oh, I went to do some research about the Soho Strangler before we did our interview and he went there's nothing out there and i was like nope and he's like there was bits out there but i think it was yours he's like yep but i deleted it so uh yeah there's nothing out there but we'll see we'll see it's this is one of those cases because there's nothing out there and because unfortunately there's a lot of not just not just podcasts but also documentary series where they do very little research i'm interested to see what happens with this afterwards because post blackout ripper a lot of podcasts picked up on so on Blackout Ripper. Um, after I after I did my um, Thames Topath murders and uh, Morbid picked it up. Have a look; it's interesting. Morbid did that because they're because they're like super famous. Um, lots of other podcasts. Are like, oh fuck yeah, we'll do that. So basically, they're just ripping each other's material off. It's just it's piss poor, isn't it? People not doing research properly, just nicking other podcasts and yeah. Not not a good thing to do, especially if you don't give credit to it as well. So uh, we will see. We'll let's see. I I am kind of looking on online regularly, going typing in Soho Strangler just to see if anyone's picking up on it. No one has yet, but we'll see. There'll be there'll be a podcast out there who'll do a one parter, and it's like, oh, don't even don't even effing bother 
Don't even effing bother. Um, uh, my tea is almost done. I probably won't drink it. Um, there we go. Just a, just an herbal tea, which is good, good, good for relaxing the eyes. There we go. I think it's an herbal. Uh, oh dear. Right. Let's let's do the quiz questions. Let's power through those and dive into some extra stuff. So, uh, question number one: uh, In which part of East London was Leia born? Question number two: What did Leia's dad, Gordon, do as a job? Ooh. Question number three: In what town was Stanley King born? Question four: What was Stanley's stage name? Let's see, here's some relatively difficult ones. Don't forget, I haven't edited this episode yet. So some of these questions might not appear in the episode because I might edit them out. Question number five. Ooh, on what street... Ooh, what street did they yawn? On what street did they first move in together? So Stanley and Leia, on what street did they first move in together? Question number six. In which two counties was Leia placed into a care home as a child? Question number seven. What colour was Leia's handbag? Question number eight, what was the name of the coffee stand that Stanley said he got a coffee from before he found Leia's body? Uh, that was eight. Number nine, Emilio Plantino, one of the last people to see her alive, worked at what uh, casino? And question number ten, at the back of what theatre did Leia pick up her punters? Right, let's dive into some extra stuff. So, uh, um, Leia, so uh, birth name Constance May Hind, H-I-N-D. She's 24 years old, roughly. Obviously, we don't know her date of birth because our mum didn't know her date of birth. Um, she used different spellings of May, M-A-E and M-A-Y. She used different spellings of Hind, H-I-N-D and H-I-N-D-S. She also used Heinz, H-E-I-N-Z and said her father was German, which he wasn't. Uh, she uh, went by the name Leia uh, hence some people called her Dutch Leia she wasn't Dutch she just kind of used it unlike the French prostitutes are out there who use the term well most people call them French like French Fifi and um, she used Dutch Leia gave, gave her a little bit of it, a bit of kind of something different but she wasn't Dutch at all um, let's dive in um, her father he, he seems to be a bit wayward so it's it's hard to prove whether he was her father or not um, she, he was not living with her and her mother when he was born uh, her father and mother got back together when she was about two years old so that's 1914 they stayed together on and off until she was 13 years old uh, but Leia didn't live with them she was brought up by her grandmother Sarah Ann uh, who by the time of her murder by the time of Leia's murder was about dead um, her father left her mother in 1930 and she's not seen him since um, still trying to piece together pieces about her mum uh, her mum had kind of a long rap sheet of uh, criminal convictions her first one in 1909 um, she around the time just before the murder so about three years before the murder she was tried at the old bailey for blackmail um uh she was just released 
just before the murder happened and she was living just around the corner so so they really didn't see each other that much they didn't seem to get on that well either uh, as with the other victims uh Lair was petite she was about five foot five foot one um uh brunette hair in a bob um like many the others well she was she was uh they described her as thickly built but i think i just mean she's she's got she's got she's not she's not large she's not fat she just got you know, a little bit of, like, like all of us a little bit of chunkage on her now wrong with that it keeps you warm in winter skinny people will die off in winter people with a bit of chunkage on them will last longer um uh what else we got um her uncle edmund who was kathleen's brother her mother's brother uh described her mother as a well-known criminal uh with who had various offenses for blackmail and was described as not a good mother uh while diving in i, I did some research on um where she uh the care the various care homes she lived uh we won't dive into that because obviously that's one of the uh the quiz questions um even the uncle himself it's like she had no childhood she had pretty much no love the uncle said he had not been in touch with uh kathleen his sister or his niece who was leia uh for about 11 years so the the family is pretty much splintered at mother stage she worked she was trained as a shorthand typist that was leia and that she also became a waitress um she may have done this may have been what how she started because we've seen it a lot in a lot of these cases before and other cases where women aren't there's a lot of women who aren't full-time prostitutes but um they have a job and because the job pays extremely badly they kind of make up the rest of their income with with prostitution and and as we've mentioned before it's kind of a big word is prostitution but you know it's it it can mean having sexual intercourse it can just mean sexual acts it you know there's also escorting which is entirely different as well so it's a yeah it's it's hard to pin down when so the problem in that era on the police records it would just say prostitute but you know it doesn't differentiate any of that so it's hard to really work out the difference um her first leia's first criminal record was under the name of leia hines that she was doing obviously uh, in order to kind of hide your past from the police a lot of prostitutes would use different aliases um um change their 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 kind of uh how they look so they wouldn't look like they did on the the pictures on there but because they had their fingerprints police could still track them down so they were able to go leia hines is constant may hines uh her first conviction was in 1930 um she had eight convictions for soliciting unfortunately her criminal record was not in the police file uh, neither was stanley's either so i've had to as with the others piece it together by what i could find um she kind of lived day to day she had no savings she kind of living a hand-to-mouth existence she accrued a lot of debts and she kind of moved on from temporary lodgings into temporary relationships it's kind of you know an unsatisfactory life nothing seemed to be solid for her whether whether she because of her upbringing maybe she didn't want solid or maybe she feared kind of solid relationships so we don't know um but one stability was prostitution in her life not to say that that was a good thing for her but it seemed to be the one thing that was consistent so she was a prostitute for six years she was well known in soho uh she had her regular patch where she picked up the punters um 
she quite a few almost all of her friends were kind of uh prostitutes as well so they kind of as we as we've seen with fifi yeah you know, they kind of looked after each other um she had a lot of boyfriends all of them seemed to be ponces people who were kind of she liked creatives but a lot of them were low earners most of them had criminal records um they kind of would sponge off her so whether they were her pimps we don't know whether she had a pimp we don't know it's all kind of um uh an odd one uh let's dive into some more i i, I Stanley's criminal record is a bit light. He he definitely had more convictions than I could find, but these are the only ones I could really hunt down. So February 1935, him and a mechanic called John Brown. Uh, Stanley was 21. He was a... Uh, well, they say he was 21. He wasn't. He was 23 by that point. Uh, well done, the press. He, they were found asleep in a car with two girls near a golf course in Perryvale. They were charged at Marleybone Police Court with stealing a car from Bayswater. Uh, John Brown, who he was with, went on to deny that he'd stolen the car. Uh, he'd said he was in Lions Corner House Tea Room with two girls when um, he was offered a lift. Uh, Stanley King was discharged at the Magistrates Court because they couldn't prove that he was lying. Um, another one, uh, June 1935, David Forsyth, who was a painter of Sydenham and Stanley, a magician living on Goldhawk Road in Shepherd's Bush, uh, both charged with insulting behaviour and breach of the peace in Denby Street in Pimlico. Uh, Forsyth pleaded not guilty. King pleaded guilty as they were fighting in the road uh, and they were charged five shillings. Um, Stanley King uh, pops up in uh, the press in 1954. Um Still working, I won't say his stage name because that's a, one of the quiz questions. He was still working as a performer, uh, still going under the name of Stanley Gordon King, as his, was his name. Uh, and he was working with his business partner, Lois Kathleen Cecilia Strong. She was known as Lois Lawrence. Uh, they ran a small company called uh, Gordon Lawrence Productions, which is based out of 10 to 11 Great Newport Street, which is just just by uh leicester square tube station uh and they were listed in the stage magazine so he so you know 20 years on he's still doing his thing as a magician um let's see if we've got time to dive into uh stanley's statements uh let's whiz through these hang on are these his statements or not yeah stanley okay uh well well so i'm just reading ahead um let's dive into it let's read as much of his, his statements as we can he gave a couple of statements i i what i'm cautious of is because we're going to use bits and pieces next week because we we're covering another angle on this on uh dutch layers murder um so there's a lot that i, I kind of want to make sure that i don't ruin a lot um Stanley would say, after three days living together, she told me she was not working as a waitress, but was getting her money from her mother. Um, she would claim, uh, Leia would claim that her mother had loads of money in the bank for her. That was not true. Uh, I told her I did not believe this and said that I thought she was on the streets. She then said that she was going out and meeting men occasionally. I said, you are not bringing men here, are you? She said, yes. I said, I will leave you unless you get another place for us to live. She said she would. I said it must be away from the West End uh, and she said she would. 
so this is weird um i didn't put this in the episode because sometimes things really confuse it but he he denies that he knows that she's a prostitute he says he kind of thinks that she's bringing men back but doesn't really mention the fact that she's a prostitute um he says i'm unhappy with this okay let's i want you to get us another place to live so you can clearly see with that that she's the one with the money she's the one organizing this he's kind of he's kind of poncing off her really but they're living on a a street uh which is i'm not going to say the name of it because it's one of the quiz questions but it is it's it's an intersecting road road to old compton street so old compton street and the streets around it so archer street rupert street um the junction of a ward or street all full of kind of prostitutes brothels things like that and he says i want i want us to get away from all this and what does she do she rents somewhere that's just a tiny like a couple of doors away and he's like yeah fine this will do me uh she promised me that she would not bring any more men to the place while we were there and i continued to live with her she used to stay in bed until about midday and on most afternoons i went with her shopping into the pictures sometimes i would leave her in the street at about six o'clock and other times i would go back to her to the rooms for tea and leave her there uh, she used to come home about midnight or the early hours of the morning so he says that he doesn't know what she does for a living uh, he denies that, that he knows that she's a prostitute but it's like i mean he seems to be the only person on old compton street who doesn't know that she's a prostitute it's like everyone knows that she's a prostitute the guy who worked at the at the casino knew that she was a prostitute the 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 guy who rented the place to her knew that she was a prostitute it's just like he's either as mentioned in the episode he's either oblivious or an idiot um there do i want to go into that uh third of may they were looking for another place um did i put this one in there's i was going to do a whole section about the landlord but i don't i've mentioned him i don't i i might do that in the next episode let's see how that goes let's not ruin that um uh stanley the following day monday the 4th of may hang on i've done that bit uh on monday i left her at the flat at 6 p.m and by appointment i met her at the tatler theater on charing cross road uh which is uh, pretty much where the montague pike is now uh, at 10 a.m at 10 p.m and i took her to have supper at the alhambra cafe on leicester square so there used to be where the moon onto the water is on, on leicester square it used to be the alhambra theater but that's that's long since demolished i left her at 11 p.m let's let me dive down and see if let's go nearer to the stuff that happened on the day and see what he says um that's stuff about the uh finding see it's all very odd everything about stanley is really odd the whole thing with the key i, I try not to overemphasize this because if if you you don't have to um i've tried to do this slightly different but um if you go back to episode four where i originally did um the the murder of of dutch layer i kind of go into more details about the key and the way it's kind of done and stuff like that but it's 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 weird isn't it there's one key to the house one key to uh, he can't get access to the street door she only has the key to that he she only ha- she has the key to the flat door so he can't get in either way he has to wait outside and you just think if you yeah, why not just spend a tiny bit of money just to get an extra key it's 
it's it's all dubious to me it all seems like a convenient excuse to say oh i couldn't have got into the flat because i didn't have a key and then you know i had to wait outside for all these hours and then i bumped into a guy who i kind of know and said oh i can't get into my flat my girlfriend's in there and she won't let me in oh and then he had to break down the door it's just dubious but it doesn't mean that he definitely committed the murder it could just mean he could be trying to protect the fact that he's poncing off her money you know he's trying to save himself from uh getting quite a what would be a relatively quite quite embarrassing um a, a charge a criminal charge uh what else we got what else we got um finding the the discharge papers i have to be careful how i say that when i was phrase when i was reading this it was it's really horrible to say but it's it's a seaman's discharge book but if you say it wrong it comes across as seaman's discharge book it's like do you know it sounds like a book that someone's wanking in so i have i had to be really cautious about a seaman's discharge book it's like even with the word seaman as well it makes it even worse uh so yeah we we don't know if the we don't know if the seaman's discharge book even exists we don't know um he said that he found uh a blue raincoat on top of the cupboard uh the landlord who had left some shit in in the flat uh which we will dive into more next week um he said he had left a raincoat in there but it was it was a fawn colored one uh so whether that was the landlords or not we don't know leia did seem to say well stanley said that the that leia said the discharge book and the blue raincoat belonged to the man who she was trying to hide from ish that night in the caprice club whether that is true or not we don't know we've got we've got more to dive in with stanley next week so i'm that's why i'm being really hesitant about this um let's see because you never know we might we might need to go back and use some of the all this again uh don't want to give away that don't want to give away that um we, we'll we'll dive into some more of a kind of bits in our back history as well that may prove useful stanley's second statement oh no i don't see what i don't i can't use that one either hmm it's really it, it's the next episode because throughout what i've tried to make it clear is a you can't really trust what's written in the press you know when you open up these these true crime books and have a look at the the sources at the back and you'll see mostly just sources of oh daily mail the times the garden like that and people are like impressed because the fact they're using like 10 or 20 or 30 uh newspaper sources but as i've tried to prove with this you can't really trust everything that's out there and even worse is even though i'm using things like the original police records what i'm trying to get across as well is just because someone said they saw something it doesn't mean that's how it happened we all have perceptions we all have reasons for saying the things we want to say so just because someone said oh this is this is what happened doesn't mean that's what happened so we dive into even more about that next week about how with um with french fifi because there wasn't a lot of press coverage the police got a limited number of witness statements um but those they got were relatively useful do you know it was quite clear and consistent but by the time you get to dutch layer because the press is all over this what it does is by the time the police turn up and kind of get witness statements from uh those who say they saw it they're 
what they've seen has already been clouded by what they've read in the press because they believe that what they're reading in the press is true but what i'm showing you here is what's written in the press is not true or you know sometimes it can be true sometimes it can be defective sometimes they may twist little details there's there's some interesting things that will crop up next week which i hope will make you look at it and go oh okay if if they say that i can see how they've changed those little words and those little words mean a lot and it really kind of messes up everything so yeah um i don't want yeah i don't want to ruin too much of this let's not do any more of this i just I, i'm just cautious of not not cocking it up by um ruining because i haven't written i haven't written next week's episode yet let's go back and do the quiz questions the quizzies okay here we go Oh, my throat is almost re almost sore now. Right. Oh, I'm looking forward to pancakes as well. I bet I won't have any. Uh, question number one. Uh, in what part of East London was Leia born? That was in East Ham. Question number two. What hit did her dad, Gordon, do as a job? Uh, he was a miner, although he says he says uh, mining engineer. Uh, question number three. In what town was Stanley King born? Aldershot. Question number four: What was Stanley's stage name? Even uh, up until the 1950s, when he was still performing, it was Rex Gordon. Question number five: On what street did Stanley and Leia first move in together? That was Little Pulteney Street, and Little Pulteney Street is the eastern edge of Brewer Street, which kind of um, joins. Wardour Street and then immediately opposite is uh, Old Compton Street so so they, they were at number one Pulteney Street Little Pulteney Street they moved to 66 Old Compton Street so effectively they moved five houses which I still find very dubious uh, question number six in which two counties was Leia placed into a care home they were in Devon and Cornwall question number seven what was Leia's uh, what was the colour of Leia's handbag it was black i'm glad i remember that because i hadn't written that down question number eight what was the name of the coffee stand where stanley said he got a cup of coffee from before he found leia's body it was jack's question number nine emilio plantino worked at what casino it was the london casino uh, which is on old compton street on the it's more on the eastern edge on the corner of I think it's on the corner of Greek Street. Uh, and it's, I think, it originally called the Prince Edward Theatre. They then changed it. They opened it up and it became, it was ornate. And then they realised it was the wrong time to open a theatre. So they turned it into a casino. And then years later, they turned it back into the Prince Edward Theatre. Uh, not named after Prince Edward, as in uh, Prince Edward, but the original Prince Edward. Well, not the original one, the one from the 30s. And question number 10. At the back of what theatre did Leia pick up her punters? Uh, that was the, the Palace Theatre, which is on the corner of Cambridge Circus and intersects with Romley Street and uh, Greek Street. So that is the theatre where uh, Harry Potter and the the cursed asshole, or whatever it's called the the cursed cash in of all oh, you need to spend more money on this shite uh that's there to pretty much right uh by the coach and horses hey good pub so there we go that's that done oh, i'm knackered good so that's that done um that's a, that sounded derogatory that's made it sound like it's good that it was over it is good that it's over because that means i can get editing and uh 
<sighs> it will only take two and a half days to edit this. Oh my god, why didn't I come up with an easier way to make a podcast? Oh, right, that's me done. Time to drink my tea, which I won't drink, and go to uh, Starbucks and abuse their really shit Wi-Fi. Um, anyway, thank you for listening to Murder Mile. Obviously, we've got part six of ten next week. Uh, so have yourselves a good one. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.